Welcome to the Emergent Podcast. This is episode three. The guest this week is Randy Deckard of Fessler. How you doing? Thanks for Thank coming on. Thank you so on. much for having me, Mike. Doing fabulous. We're going to have a good time today. We're talking about healthcare. We're talking about healthcare and AI and uh, all of the interesting things about healthcare that you never knew really existed. Um, I think it's funny, you know, people think of healthcare because it's obviously prevalent in their lives, but you know, who are the customers that are in healthcare? There's more than one, right? I mean, who's who's really behind the scenes? How's that work? Who are the so customers? So I love this question because I probably think of it a little bit differently than everyone else. I think that as someone who's worked in healthcare and, and provided a service, internally, my customers were my colleagues, my partners, whether it was a physician, nurse, pharmacist, and then, you know, ultimately you have what maybe people are thinking of traditionally as a customer, the patient or the family member. Mm -hmm. So I look at healthcare as an ecosystem, no differently than I look at business. And it's like, everyone's my customer. It just depends where you're at, whether it's internal or external. Mm -hmm. Right. And so who, so if we listed those off, we'd have, you've got providers, you've got doctors, we've got hospitals, we've got upstream, downstream, right. all over the and place. And all of those people have to get uh, got to get paid in there. So, you know, that's I think behind the scenes that people sometimes look at it from a as a patient. They think, where's all this going? Where's it, how how is all this right. happening? Right. And and as a you know, if if you think about you know uh, the patient, they go whether it's to like just a local physician or or a hospital. You know, depending on how that clinic or hospital is set up you know, the services that are provided to them, um, they're just thinking of, oh, the doctor is helping me or a surgeon's helping me, but that that clinic or that hospital provider may be subcontracting out. Those may not actually be employees. Like lots of times you go and have mm -hmm. a surgery, it's an anesthesiology group that's con contracted out. Or, you know, sometimes you know, especially if your um, ASCs or ambulatory surgical centers are very popular in the U.S. now because they take the cost out of healthcare. So as a consumer, you can go and get affordable quality care. Once again, that billing and that experience is a little bit different because not all the employees are necessarily contracted um, directly by that mm -hmm. ASC. They, you know, they have third party just like we do in business. Um, to get all those services provided. Yeah, a lot of different medical mm -hmm. practices, a lot of different surgeons. To, you know, they have, uh, what do they call block mm -hmm. times? That seems to be the basic unit of what they're trying to optimize, right. uh, whether or not it's a hospital or ambulatory. Everything is time, um, right? So like if you just go to your regular doctor, they have time blocks on their calendar. If it's a surgery, they have mm -hmm. block times in, in the ER. When you go and occupy a, a bed, um, like, and no one wants to go to the ER, but they're there because it's an emergency, if they run out, they end up putting you in a hallway um, um, because they, they don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I think, right. I think, you know, anyone who, um, you know, has been in a hospital more than once has seen someone in a hallway, whether it's ER or not, the, it, it overflow has happened for various reasons. Mm -hmm. What about scheduled uh, surgeries? You know, what's uh, 
how do you optimize that? I mean, is that like the biggest problem in, in so it right I, now? I think, it, I think there are a number of areas that are, are, are an issue. Scheduling in general is an issue because um, traditionally healthcare is, I think, laggard in this way. They're looking at a schedule as here's a calendar, here's a time slot, patient, will go here. And sometimes it's directed by the physician or like an oncology with their getting infusion. Sometimes it's not always a patient's choice mm -hmm. of when they get that slot, but it's, it's that calendar time. Whereas if you think about it, there is 24 hours in a day, seven days, 365. And depending on what type of service, like an ER, that bed is truly available 24 seven, 365, right? But how do you make sure that you have the right number of beds at all times? You, you don't know because that's, that's unscheduled, but like for surgery, you do kind of know based on your community, like the types of surgeries you're getting. So um, if you're in a large like urban area, sometimes it's easier to get into like that, those standalones versus, versus a hospital because a hospital is going to have all the cases, whether it's from ICU or ER coming in, whereas a standalone is probably a little bit more efficient at scheduling because that's all they do. They don't have all the surprises that might happen in a hospital, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And it's really the hospitals, I think, that are struggling um, making sure their beds are filled because an empty bed is yeah. or an empty OR room um, can be hundreds of thousands of dollars impact. And if you think about it, there's a lot of waste in healthcare. We talk about this and that waste impacts us because it, that cost gets spread out and who, who pays for that? Yeah. The consumer. <laughs> all of us yes. eventually, yes. eventually. But it's yeah. is, that, is that why there's a big move towards more ambulatory surgical centers? Um, because they can specialize in that kind of efficiency so for it's it? not just, or, you know, which came first, the chicken yeah, well, or the see, egg? I, I think that ambulatory surgical centers popped up for, for a number of reasons. One is taking the cost out of healthcare. Remember the, the whole thing in the U S is that we're supposed to have this one goal towards giving quality, affordable healthcare. And one way to take out the cost is in an outpatient setting. And so that's why there have been so many ambulatory surgical centers pop up because they can do it um, less expensively. It can literally be a third of the price compared to a hospital. Why? The hospital has okay. all the support yep. things that go on on that campus that have to be paid for, whereas an ASC, you know, smaller footprint, it's specialized, it doesn't have all the other ancillary staff, et cetera. So they can do it, um, the same procedure with the same quality, the same outcomes at a fraction of the price. So the payers obviously prefer that and try to move it. They, they do, but it's, it's interesting is that not every surgical procedure that you would think there's a list for outpatient. And so that's one area that there is a, a coalition or a group of you know, ASCs that lobby because there are still some surgeries that they feel should be on that list that they can perform. There's no reason why it couldn't be done mm -hmm. in that surgical center. And ultimately we, the consumer end up paying more um, and, and having to wait longer. Like, you know, I've, it doesn't matter who yeah. you ask, they will know someone who's had to wait for some type of treatment or procedure 
um, even just sometimes calling the doctor to get in if it's a specialty, two months, three months, you know, um, but with specifically yeah. with scheduling surgery, it can typically be done in a, um, a much quicker, quicker manner in, in um, the, the outpatient because they have, like I said, a better grip or handle on scheduling and they're much more efficient. Right, right. And what are some of the things that they can optimize aside from scheduling? You know, where's the where's the low hanging fruit in healthcare now that we could use some of the the great tools we have and some of the data that we we have? That was the big thing with you know the Affordable Care Act. We were supposed to have access to everything was an EMR. We we're supposed to find these efficiencies. Uh, maybe we're at that point now where we can we can have enough of that data and we can we can work on some of those efficiencies. Where's the optimizations in all these processes next? What can we, what could we yeah, get? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. And, and, you know, of course, the whole premise with EHRs, EMRs, as you said, was to have this one source of, of, of truth data. But you, you already kind of gave the answer. Um, so it's, it's really about the data, right? Um, but it's, it's what do you do with that data? So there are a lot of big data companies that have come out, because it's not just having the data, it's what do you do with it? And unfortunately, the EMRs, EHRs, so the Cerner's, Epics of the world, they're great from um, intaking a patient, so getting all like the healthcare, like your healthcare card, all that information, payer information, you know, um, tracking yeah. like what, what um, maybe medications you've got, but as far as someone managing the hospital and it being efficient and optimizing, that is not what the EMR was designed for. And so that is where yeah. I think that's, I think that is the biggest opportunity is looking at data and looking at predictive analytics. So, you know, there are some innovative healthcare um, um, systems as well as companies that are, you know, piloting and doing things. Just as a, just as an example, we already talked about, you know, how um, the surgical centers, the outpatients are, are more affordable and they can do the same procedures at a third, you know, a fraction of the cost because they're so efficient because they're specialized. That's all they do is surgeries. They don't have to worry about anything else. So they can maximize their ORs and make sure that, that there isn't waste in the time of that OR block time, right? Whereas in a hospital, mm -hmm. there are so many things in that ecosystem that need to be managed. The only way that you can do that and look for opportunities to schedule better, whether it's, hey, today is a today we're having these three ORs for for cardiac, and then you know we have two scheduled for whether it's ER or you know um, other cases um, that in the hospital that might pop up. So those are the kinds of things that from a data perspective, hospitals need either like a technology or something predictive that can help them manage what should that look like. And then the other thing we have to take into account is that we as you know, leaders in healthcare have to think about that, but we also can't dictate how physicians you know, practice their medicine or they they will not they will rebel right like you cannot tell a doctor right. what to right. do but you can optimize a system so the doctors can work in a most efficient manner right so from what you're saying you know the epic cerner all of those kinds of systems are great for intake 
maybe charting revenue cycle right, how having to build. The yeah they're, they're great yeah. They're... Yeah, so charting and billing mm -hmm. um and he would think i mean that was the goal right that was mm -hmm. the whole theoretical purpose behind it was to have all this uh who are what what are the types of companies that are out there now that are able to take that data and what are they running up against are they having trouble you know do you have hipaa problems uh, with trying to uh, aggregate that kind of a data, uh, if you're using a third party for it, how do the hospital, you know, does the hospital own that data? Are they able to do that in-house? How does that right, work so, if you're trying to, obviously we're not going to throw it into GPT-4, no, no. um, but, you know, how did, how how would that work if, if Cerner or Epic isn't uh, doing that? How do right, we do so, it now? You know, are we doing it at the database yeah, level? Yes, so it, it really needs to happen at, at the database level. And, and that's, I mean, there are definitely challenges, right? Because as a patient, when you go and sign up, you know, to have a procedure mm -hmm. done, you know, you fill out all the forms and including HIPAA and it says who you're, who you're willing to share your information with. And oftentimes it's a payer, right? So there are, there are companies right. out there. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind is Olive. Um, it started uh, prior to COVID and it was, you know, this big data, this company that was going to attack healthcare um, and data and, and not just gather all the data, but actually make it meaningful and consumable so you could do something with it, right? Which is, which is the challenge. A lot of people have all this data, but what does it mean and how do you use it? You need technology to, to break it down and then hand it back so you can make decisions, data-driven decisions, and or it needs to predict things mm -hmm. so you can make better decisions. And that's really where the optimization um, gap is right now, is that everything that healthcare has invested in is not optimization. Mm -hmm. It's it's about taking information in and some of, some of it sharing yeah. information, i.e., I'm a nurse on another floor, I can log into a computer and see, you know, Mrs. Jones... Right has gotten two cc's of whatever and so that's great but right. it doesn't tell the nurse who's in charge like okay um i don't have enough nurses to serve all the patients that are going to be coming in from whether it's um oh we had a complex or case i need to call ahead and have someone on staff those are the kinds of things i think from a predictive standpoint if, if you just think about that mm -hmm. If the system could see that, oh my gosh, 10 people came to the ER, we have two OR cases that have gone longer, and we definitely are going to have a longer stay in ICU, if it could predict and get that information to the right people, right? Because not everyone needs to see that, but mm -hmm. also hand it to the right person so they can take actionable. So it's not just optimizing, it's giving actionable data to the right person at the right time. So who's motivated from the, not necessarily the, the provi software providers part of it, but who's motivated to make that happen? The payer versus the hospital, they seem that would be one wouldn't care versus the other. Who has that data and how does that work? If I, I can see where the hospitals and the payers love, you know, the, the EMRs because then, you know, everything can be billed correctly. I can see how how that is a motivation. How do we get past that point now over the next decade? To uh, who 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 is going to be the one that funds it, and how do we get 
it so that the, the software developers who can innovate this uh, can work with that without, you know, having uh, too much access, obviously, to data. Yeah, so I think I think it's a really interesting question. And I'm, I'm going to take a, a quick step back because I think COVID kind of gave us the answer already. Mm-hmm. COVID, okay. COVID pressurized the healthcare system. I mean, if, if you just dial back your memory, there were systems mm-hmm. that were using parking garages, tents, for, for overflow to deal with all deal with that all that I think that was a wake-up call in healthcare and and the and the reason I want to go there is that some of the hospitals that that did it well you know have to be super organized and use and use data in a different way than they had before I'm not saying that everyone had the tools because if they'd had the tools we weren't to run out of ventilators and all the other things that were also pressurized in the system, gloves, because we couldn't predict how much we actually needed at the height, right? We just were, we just kept running out of stuff and people were beg borrowing um, to mm-hmm. to get those types of, of consumables in, never mind the staffing challenges. There are, and, and out of that, I think there came some innovative thought about if this happened again, or if it persisted, how would we continue to serve our communities and serve the patients who need it? Because there were, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was a really large percentage of people who put off um, optional, yeah. optional um, surgery, sur- surgery that like wasn't critical or even didn't go in mm-hmm. because they were scared of, of contracting something um, so put off getting even just a routine testing. So there's probably a percentage of the population who actually might need something. They just don't know it because they haven't yeah. been to been to the been to um, um, a, a, a clinician to see where they're at where they're at right now. Whether it's their routine testing, a lot of people put stuff off. And I think out of that, the the healthcare um, organizations who came out ahead. And the leaders who saw the impact of being organized and how data could help them realize that they that they need to continue that innovation. Healthcare has very slim margins, like less than five percent. Mm-hmm. So, in order to to continue to serve their patients and communities, we have to innovate. It's not a choice. So, it's the leaders, it's the CEOs and the CFOs who are responsible for the continuity um, that they are going to look for ways to how can I, you know, give this, you know, access, give access to everyone who needs it when they need it and in an affordable Mm -hmm. way and that we can still continue our business. Right. So there's, there's no, I think that the, the organizations are continuing to thrive because as we've also seen hospitals went out of business. And, you know, some were saved mm-hmm. by larger systems who actually had dollars, but those that, you know, um, were, were either in an area where, um, you know, they just didn't have the resources or staff or opportunities to, um, you know, have, have tech, tech available to them, they really struggled and they went out of business because they, they couldn't survive in this, in this environment. So it really, it really mm-hmm. pressure tested our system in the U.S., and I think it was a wake up call for a lot of leaders. And that's why I think 
there are a lot of um, innovation, innovative health systems and like Intermountain Healthcare has its own arm of where they are continually looking at innovation and they're not the only one. Um, but so they working with, uh, you know, the non-traditional uh, big software they, providers or are the big software providers, the ones who are working with, it's you not know, just the big smaller, yeah, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not just the big ones. They actually have some some smaller um, smaller um, um, groups. So it's not just Cerner, Epic, or the the big folks driven. Mm -hmm. It's truly independent. Like, hey, here is this problem in healthcare. Here is a solution. Will you pilot? And so, lots of times they are pilot and they're looking at looking at ways to um you know to do this and, and and one of the interesting things and it's not so much generative ai or ai but it is using tech to once again um help mm -hmm. and that's at home healthcare so let's say you or i go to the hospital and have a procedure instead of going to you know the med surge peds like staying in the hospital for two to three days yeah. you or i could go home after that surgical procedure and have that same care that we would have gotten in that hospital bed at home. So they actually, it's called at home care. And so they are using okay. technology to monitor the patient and direct services and they have command centers. And so this is where once again, technology is playing a huge part because the amount of coordination, you think the amount of coordination in a hospital, the mm. amount of coordination when you're at home, yeah. there was um, Blue Cross Blue Shield ran a program in Arizona pilot. I think they're going to get it extended. Um, but, you know, patients love being at home. They're more comfortable, oftentimes recover more quickly. And when I'm saying complex care, I'm saying nurses coming out, they might get an x-ray done, mm -hmm. like it, it, full services, but at home. And that was done through command centers and integrating and so that is once again another way so does blue cross find that there's cost savings yes um and does the hospital find that there's more profit in that who are the you know does the hospital at that point get removed from the revenue nope. each part of the nope, equation or they're, they're yeah, part they, of it so it you it, you're literally being treated at home but it's it yeah. you're everything else from a payment um, perspective is like the hospital will charge you for in-bed service but you're at home yeah so it's okay. called at home and and like i said the reason i brought that up is because there there are um several pilots and like i said there's one in arizona there are a few others and interesting and interestingly enough this one with blue cross blue shield they have seen cost savings and better outcomes and one of the things that you have to think about um, from a cost perspective is that nosocomial infections, so you get an infection when you're in hospital, you end up staying longer. You typically don't have those in this in-home mm -hmm. environment. And if a patient just mentally, yeah. it, you know, is more comfortable, they recover better. Like, so there's also things that you can't quantify, but from yeah. a patient experience and quality perspective, they actually do better. And so it, it helps with cost because sure. they end up not staying longer. And it's so, yeah, that's costly. I can't imagine how it's physically more efficient. Uh, but then again, I mean, you're sitting around for 97% of the time you're at the well, hospital. Instead of deploying, yeah, uh, instead of deploying, yeah. like instead of like that physical bed, you know, and how much that yeah. bed um, costs 
if it stays empty, instead yeah. of having that bed, instead of having a bed, you have insane. beds, you have beds other places that you didn't even you haven't even considered. Yeah. So, and not everyone might, yeah. not everyone would qualify for that. Obviously, if there's certain complications, you could right. not. But that's just another way that some, you know, this at-home care model is being looked at. Um, and it, it does require tech and like a command center and predict yeah. It's like a decentralized. Yeah. Absolutely. And the monitoring. So like if, if, and I'm just making something up, let's say I had, had um, a complication of diabetes, regardless of what my procedure was and I'm being monitored. And as my glucose was mm -hmm. going up, they might send a nurse out to me versus, you know, a nurse coming to a room. So the other thing mm -hmm. is, you have to be in an area where they can get to you within a certain period of, of, of time, obviously, you know, promptly. But um, yeah. like I said, there are three, three, three large systems that have um, piloted this with great success. And um, I think it's just another area that we just need to think differently. Yeah. And in, in other industries, we're very creative. Healthcare hasn't, hasn't been as much creative. And I think part of it is, yeah. obviously it's a human life you got to make sure the quality is there yeah it's kind of a conservative yes field. yes <laughs> how do we how do we address that there's you know because it's like you, you know it's like you want to turn it into web3 necessarily but there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that from a more hacker type of a community you know there's a lot of innovation that comes out of that how do we hack health you know, in the, not in the bad sense yeah. of like, you know, breaking in type of a thing, but you know, like the way that it's supposed to mean, how do we, how do we come up with these cool hacks that make that happen and bridge the gap between, you know, the, the innovative coder and the C-level hospital uh, executive, how do we find, what's the path well, forward I think, on that? I think that we're going to get pressure in healthcare because it's already, ha it's already started from the Amazons of the world or, you know, the Google investing and buying and mm -hmm. getting into the healthcare space. I think it's going to take companies mm -hmm. like that who look at healthcare and still quality, affordable, accessible, but using technology that, you know, we haven't thought about. And you think about Amazon, you know, the amount of packages that they deal with from a warehouse. And if you think about that from us, if, if, if you equate that to healthcare, that could be services or supplies, you know, whether it's, you know, um, drugs or mm. the IV bag, there are all these different things um, that not every hospital is taking advantage of. So if I can just stick with like the pharmacy component for, for, as an example, um, pharmacy errors, can be very expensive because if something happens and someone gets the wrong drug, of course, that's like that, that, that's an insurance and a compliance and a high risk mm -hmm. issue. You know, there are barcodes on everything. Like if you look at, like I said, Amazon or, you know, the, you know, other companies like that, that everything is by barcode and RFID. So you can track it, you know, where it is. Yeah. Um, in some hospitals, they have, you know, barcodes and they actually have robotics that, you know, if I'm a nurse, I'm put in and literally a robotic picks it and, and it, it delivers it to me via, sh via a shoot. So there can be no errors because it's, it's automated. But yeah. if we can take that type of model and put it throughout the whole hospital, what can be automated 
And then what can, what from the data perspective can be predicted, that is what's going to drive. And I think it really is the Amazons and the Googles who have, you know, have all this outside experience and they're not, can I just say that they're not um, constrained because they, if they've been in healthcare for a long time, having that fresh perspective and approaching it, because a lot of people say, oh, well, we've always done it this way, or you can't do it this way. And Oh yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, you've got you've got this you know big barge that's going down the river, um, you know. But uh, logistics uh, is you know FedEx yeah. and UPS. I mean Amazon is now you know the third yeah. one. Uh, they're they're as big as I'm not sure if they're bigger yet, but that's you know what they turned they started out to be was you know a bigger logistics company than UPS yeah. or yeah. FedEx or the post office. Um, I mean, it can be done if you're solving a, a specific kind of a problem. Sounds like it's a it's a coordination problem, right? That's that's the uh, it, 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 uh, the the way that you know soft software people are great at solving those kinds yeah. of problems. You know, throw some software guys in a room and tell them it's a, a traveling salesman problem. You know, something good can come out of that. It's just a question I think of how do you how do you take that innovation and get somebody to try something like that without having to spend, you know, have a, try to get a billion dollar corporation to, uh, sponsor. Right. And, and, and if you, you equivalent like an Amazon, it's all about supply and demand, right? Well, healthcare, and, and I, mm-hmm. I know I'm oversimplifying it, but healthcare, the ecosystem is supply and demand, you know? Um, oh, and yeah, so, sure. and, and like I said, but we just haven't thought about that way. And I'm not trying to, I just want to make sure anyone who's listening, you know, I'm not trying to mm-hmm. treat everyone like a number or a barcode. That is not the intent. It is really how can we how can we be more efficient yeah. so we can take the cost out of healthcare and actually give give yeah. access to more people. I think that that if we, yeah, you can make it yes. better. You can. It doesn't have to turn people into uh, you know you're just right. a number. You know, anytime you got an ecosystem or a marketplace. You know, you could you could do it. You can make it better and make it uh, more uh, yeah. enjoyable for the customer and get better value out of it, get better pricing. I mean, Amazon's a perfect yeah. example, like you're saying, you know, you get a better selection. It just magically shows up uh, in your uh, doorstep like six hours later. In some cases, uh, you know, the pricing is generally better. Uh, it creates just a huge amount of things yeah. you can get. It's, you know, you don't have to be limited to what's uh, available at the store. Um, you know, there's no reason why we can't apply that to uh, uh, to healthcare. I think the challenge is that you know Barnes and Noble and Borders were around, and it was relatively easy for somebody to come along with uh, with a with a, a startup and say, "I'm going to build uh, a you know a bookstore online for right. programmers." Uh, it's harder to do that for uh, a hospital. Um, there's probably like a couple of regulations or rules or something involved in there. <laughs> probably hard to get a permit for that <laughs> but you know if there's if there was a bridge in there somewhere to put put those things together it seems like there could be a lot of innovation yeah and there. i and i you know obviously we could if we went down the regulatory rabbit hole you know that is a whole a whole other ball of wax of course that needs to be adhered to a lot of wax it, it, it is balls of balls yeah it is top, and yeah. and as as someone who deals with you know um phi private health information on a daily basis you know security is the is always of the utmost utmost importance and we we all know that in healthcare and 
but you know even even with the EHRs and and EMRs I still think we have that opportunity like when I first heard back in the day um when you know this was going to be mandatory everyone had to have an EHR EMR and then then the cloud came there still isn't any one place that you can go for healthcare data that has everything right so so right. You know, I think part of part of it is, and there's you know a lot of regulation in healthcare, but I think part of it is, you know, how do you have the patient data in there, and 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 then also ethically, what is shared with whom for the right reasons for optimization, um, and and like I said, I think it's going to be a marriage of tech and regulatory, and and I, and there definitely will be some be some challenges, but I think that there are some very you know, smart people in tech, if they literally just set aside and think about the problem, come up with solution, uh, come up with solutions and pilot, especially with predictives, there are things that could, you know, even just a 10% increase in, in bed usage could, could make a huge difference in any one organization. But if you amplify that in multiple steps, like just, you got like, you get compound interest, you can get compound efficiencies. And I think, I think that's where the organizations that are innovative and running pilots are, are going to pull, pull ahead because, you know, um, the folks that aren't doing that, there's just no way they can compete and, and keep up if you, if you don't innovate. Compound. Yes. That's a new term. That's a Randyism. <laughs> There we go. You made a. We've made a Randyism, <laughs> and just in time. It's. Uh, I think that's a good place to leave it for this week. Thanks so much uh, for coming on. Appreciate. Uh, Thank you so much there. for having me.